during Jesus' ministry, there were plenty of opinions about who Jesus was. Plenty of questions about who Jesus was. His ministry was so public. The things he did were so amazing. His teaching was so striking that I imagine it was hard not to have an opinion about Jesus. He couldn't be just a normal guy. Almost everybody agreed on that, right? Even the people who had strong disagreements about who Jesus was, they they knew he was someone significant, whether in a good way or a bad way. There were some who um, said terrible, blasphemous things about Jesus, and there were some who got pretty close to being right about Jesus, and of course a, a few who knew who he was even early on. But in the midst of all that confusion and questioning and opinions, and by the way, we've got plenty of that still today, right? How do you know who's right? How do you know whose opinion to trust? How do you know who has the the right answer? Right? Whose word can you depend on when it comes to understanding who Jesus is? Well, there's more than one right answer to that question because there's more than one person you can go to who will tell you the truth about Jesus. But I want us to, to think uh, in particular about one figure this morning, and that is John the Baptist. Uh, the Apostle John, in the Gospel of John, uh, draws our attention to the ministry of John the Baptist Uh, Pretty early on in the book, even before we get to the story of John the Baptist, back in verse 6 of chapter 1, John was already telling us about John the Baptist, who was sent from God to bear witness about Jesus. And, And here's what I want you to notice this morning about John. At the very beginning, at the outset, really, of Jesus's ministry, before Jesus had done any of the signs and miracles that we read about in Scripture... Before Jesus had preached any of the sermons that are recorded for us in Scripture, before Jesus got the attention of crowds, before Jesus had enemies, John the Baptist told everyone who would listen exactly who Jesus was and how he knew. So I want us to listen with careful attention this morning to what John told the crowds and tells us about Jesus. Look at the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning in verse 29. It says, The next day, this is right after John had been questioned about who he was. Why are you baptizing? Are, are you the prophet? Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah? It says, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, 
He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. But John has a lot to say about Jesus in that little paragraph. A lot to say about who he is and a lot to say about how he knows who he is. The first thing John says in that paragraph is probably the most famous thing that John said about Jesus. And that is, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, to understand what that means, right, we need to remember what is said in the Bible before this point about lambs. Right? When we think about lambs, you might think of like a children's storybook with cute, cuddly little lambs. That's not the primary image the Bible is conjuring up for us when it talks about Jesus as the Lamb of God. The primary image that we're supposed to have in our minds when John says, this is the Lamb of God, is the image of a lamb slain. The image of a lamb offered in sacrifice. This imagery goes all the way back to the story of Abraham and Isaac in Genesis chapter 22. When God told Abraham to sacrifice his only son, the son that God had promised to give to Abraham and Sarah. And as they were on their way, Abraham and Isaac, the Bible says that Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? For a burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. And they went on. Abraham made all the preparations. He was about to sacrifice his son in obedience to God. When an angel called to him and told him not to sacrifice his son. And then it says, Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Here's what John is saying. Just like God provided that ram... Right, to be the lamb that took Isaac's place. So Isaac would not have to be sacrificed. Just as the Lord provided that ram, so God himself has provided a sacrifice for our sin. And in this case, it's his son. It's not Abraham's son this time who's on the altar. It's God's own son. He has provided it. That's why he's the Lamb of God. Also, I think in John the Baptist's mind at this point, and meant to be in our minds as we hear these words about Jesus, that this is the Lamb of God, is the Lamb from Exodus chapter 12 at the Passover. Remember when the tenth plague came on the land of Egypt? God told his people through Moses... Each household has got to take a lamb that meets these specifications, and that lamb needs to be sacrificed, needs to be slaughtered. You take the blood of that lamb, you put it over the doorpost of your house, you roast that lamb, you eat it in your house that night, and if you trust me and do what I say, 
Right? By following these instructions, then I will pass over your house. The judgment that is going to fall on the whole land of Egypt will not fall on you tonight if you are covered by the blood of this land. Jesus is that Passover lamb. His blood is going to be shed. That is why he came. That is why he took on flesh. When John said back in verse 14 that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, why was that necessary? Why did he have to take on flesh? Because without flesh, he could not die. And without the shedding of blood, the Bible says, there's no remission of sin. Jesus had to die. His blood had to be shed so that God's judgment would pass over you and over me if we trust in the Lamb of God. That's what John has in mind when he says, Behold the Lamb of God. He's not saying here's somebody who's cute and cuddly. He's saying here is someone who has come to be slaughtered in our place, to suffer on our behalf. And notice he says that this Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He's not going to be taking the place of just one man, as in the case of Isaac. Yet one ram substituted for one son. He's not even this, this time coming to take the place of the firstborn sons of one nation. In the case of the Passover, it was the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. right? They participated in the Passover. They put the blood over their houses. And the firstborn sons of all the sons of Israel were delivered. In this case, it's not just for Abraham's one family and his one son. It's not just for Abraham's numerous descendants now in the nation of Israel. It's for people of every tribe and tongue and nation. It's for the sins of the world. That's what John told us in Revelation chapter 5. We read from earlier. Where he said, what I saw and heard in heaven was a lamb standing as though it had been slain, as though it had been slaughtered. Because it had, but now it was standing because he's risen victorious after his death. And what was said about him in heaven? Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation and people and language. That's what John the Baptist is saying here when he says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That means it doesn't matter who you are or where you're from or what your background is or what you've done. Jesus is for you. He's for me. He has come to take away the sin of anyone and everyone in the world who will turn to Him and trust Him. The Bible says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You don't have to be of the nation of Israel. right? You don't have to be able to trace your lineage back to Abraham. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you're from. This lamb was slaughtered for the sins of the world. And that means... You and me, any of us, can trust him and receive that forgiveness. And it means that if you belong to Jesus, not only have you been ransomed for God, right, but your sins have been taken away by Jesus. You have been cleansed by his death. 
God's judgment will pass over you. That's essentially what Paul is saying in Romans 8.1 when he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No judgment is going to fall upon you. Because Christ, our Passover lamb, as Paul calls him in 1 Corinthians 5, has been sacrificed. So God will pass over us. Next thing John says in verse 30, we've already seen back in verse 15, so I'll just touch on it briefly. But in verse 30, John says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. Remember, John was born before Jesus. John started his ministry before Jesus started his. So why is it that John says Jesus is more important than him, ranks ahead of him? Well, he says because he was before me, which doesn't mean he was born before me or that he got here you know, to the Jordan River before me. It means he existed before me. He was before me because For Jesus, his birth was not his beginning. My birth was my beginning. Your birth was your beginning. Jesus' birth was not his beginning. Because as John told us from the very beginning of this book, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And it was that Word that took on flesh and was born, and we call him Jesus. But for the Son of God who took on flesh... When he was born of the Virgin Mary, that was, that was not his beginning. He has no beginning. He is eternally God. That was just the beginning of his public, earthly ministry. But he had existed long before that. John knew that. And that's why John said, I'm not even worthy to tie this man's sandals. Being at his feet is too high of a place for me. Because he is God in the flesh. Next, John says in verse, th- uh, verse 31, he says, I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. Now, here we get an answer to a question that John dodged in verse 25. Remember back last week he was asked, okay, John, if you're not the Christ, and you're not Elijah, and you're not the prophet, then what are you doing out here baptizing? Why are you here? And he didn't answer. He deflected the question and said, really, and basically what he said was, you don't need to be thinking much about me. You need to be thinking about the one who's in your midst, who you don't know yet, who's so much greater than me, and he's talking about Jesus. But now, in verse 31, he tells us why he's baptizing. He says, the reason I came baptizing with water is so that this man I'm telling you about might be revealed to Israel. Right, now John's ministry of, of preaching repentance and baptizing people with a baptism of repentance was, uh, was there to prepare the way of the Lord. That's what John said. Right? If you want to know who I am, I'm the voice Isaiah 40 talks about. Crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. That's me. And he's saying now, that's why I'm baptizing. My ministry of baptism is, is in some sense a, a stage upon which Jesus can be publicly revealed to Israel. 
Right? The, and my preaching, the baptism, everything, it's important, it's real, it's substantial, but part of why God sent me to do this is to create a way for Jesus to be made known to the nation. So that he could be revealed here, in this place, in this way. Right, now, I don't know why John said, I don't know exactly what he means when he says in verse 31, I myself did not know him. Right? And he says it again in verse 33, I myself did not know him. In one sense, John had to know Jesus. Right? Because when Mary found out from the angel that she was going to have a son, and not just any son, but that she was going to bear the Son of God, remember the angel told her about her relative, Elizabeth, who had been barren, but was now in her sixth month. And Mary went to visit Elizabeth. And when Mary went to visit Elizabeth, Elizabeth said, Why is this granted to me? that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. It's like John knew who Jesus was before he was even born. And certainly Elizabeth knows who he is, and Mary's been told who he is. So you would think, as you know, families share stories and whatnot, that John would have some idea of who Jesus is, even as he's growing up, right? Because evidently they're related, and you know, they would have their mothers would have all these stories to share about the significance and uniqueness of their births. So I don't think John is saying, I've never met Jesus before. I've never heard of him before. This is totally out of the blue. I don't think he means that. I think what he means is that he didn't know for sure that Jesus was the Messiah until God made it plain. And we're going to see here in just a moment how God did that. But I, I think, this, and this is, this is just my guess, right? I think that as John was growing up, he probably heard all these stories. He knew who Jesus was supposed to be. But Jesus was his relative, right? And those were some pretty extravagant claims made about Jesus, right? That he was the Son of God, that he was the Messiah. And so I think John is just saying, look, I wasn't sure. I didn't really know that it was him until now, right? So how does he know now? Why is John all of a sudden convinced that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he's the Lamb of God, come to take away the sin of the world. Well, he tells us in verse 32 and 33, it says, John bore witness, this is what he said, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but... He who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. 
So what did John see? John seems to be talking about what happened at Jesus' baptism. He doesn't tell us the full story here, right? But it's a familiar story. You've seen paintings of it, right? And you've heard the story. But let me just read it for you again, right? From Matthew chapter 3. It's not the only place it shows up. But in Matthew chapter 3, we're told, When Jesus was baptized... Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. John seems to be recounting that story and saying, This is how I know. This was when I knew. I mean, if you, tra- if, if you start digging, you might find out that Jesus and I are related. And you might say, like, is this some kind of setup? Like, did you, John, did you start doing this so that you could promote your cousin or however they were related? And what John is saying is that I didn't know. Even when I started baptizing, I didn't know who it was going to be that God had sent me to point everybody to. And I didn't know until I saw the Holy Spirit of God descend from heaven and remain upon him. And the reason I know now is because God told me in advance, whoever you see the Spirit descend upon and remain upon, he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. He's the Messiah. And this too fulfills Prophecy, because back in Isaiah chapter 11, Isaiah said, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Remember, Jesse is David's father. David is the one who has promised his, the Messiah would come from his line. All right, so here's this shoot, this offspring, come from David's line, David's family. And here's what it says. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. That's what John has just seen. The Spirit of God come from heaven and rest upon him. And so John is saying, that's how I know that it's him. That's how I know he's the Son of God. That's how I know he's the Lamb of God. That's how I know he's the one God sent me to point to and bear witness about. Now, what does it mean when it says that God told John, Um, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is He who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. What's that all about? Uh, John baptizes with water, he says, but Jesus baptizes with the Holy Spirit. When does that happen? How does that happen? Well, that happens uh, in the first instance, On the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So when Jesus dies on the cross, he rises again, and then he's with his disciples for a period of about 40 days, and then he ascends back into heaven in Acts chapter 1, and he tells the disciples not to leave Jerusalem. And it says this, it says, While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. What's that? Which he said... You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So Jesus is saying the promise of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it's coming. And it's going to happen here in Jerusalem, so don't leave. 
So Jesus ascends into heaven. The disciples stay there in Jerusalem. And we know what happens, right? They're all gathered one day in that upper room. And there's this sound like a rushing wind. And they've got um, tongues like flames of fire on their heads. And they, they start preaching about God and what God has done. And they're talking in all kinds of different languages. And the crowd assembles. And people are trying to figure out what in the world is going on. And Peter takes charge, and he says in Acts chapter 2, he says, he's explaining what's going on. Some people think, oh, they're just drunk or whatever, and Peter says, no, 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 it's way too early in the morning for that. I'll tell you what's really happening. He says, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And then later in that same sermon, he says, He's talking about Jesus being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. In other words, Peter is saying Jesus promised that we would be baptized by Him with the Holy Spirit. And that's what you're seeing on the day of Pentecost, that God has that Jesus has poured out from heaven the gift of the Holy Spirit, just like Joel prophesied. He's come upon us, and then he says to the crowds there listening, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Meaning every Christian, everyone who's turned from their sin and trusted in Jesus, has been baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's just one of the ways the Bible talks about God pouring out His Spirit on all his people, on all who believe. That's what he's talking about. Jesus is the one who's going to send the Holy Spirit upon his people. If you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit. The last thing John says in verse 34 is this. He says, I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Of God. The Lamb of God, come to take away the sin of the world, is also the Son of God. And as we said before, this time, the Lamb that God provides is His own Son. John had pointed us to this earlier in verse 14 when he said, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. What kind of glory? Glory as of the only Son from the Father full of grace and truth. This one, this man, is like nobody else. He's the only son of the Father. I've been around gracious people. I've been around truthful people. This one, John says, is full of grace and truth. John the Baptist says, "The, the whole reason I'm out here, the whole reason I'm doing this thing, the whole reason God sent me out here was so that you would know this man who's more than a man. He's the Lamb of God. He's the Son of God. He's the one God sent to baptize with the Spirit. He himself is God. That's why he's so much greater than me. And as we said before, there are a lot of opinions about Jesus then and today. But John tells us the truth. John is a reliable witness John is someone we can trust. He had little to gain from pointing others to Jesus. Right? Because what we're going to see, hopefully next week, is the more John pointed to Jesus, the fewer people were following John. 
Because as he pointed to Jesus, people realized John was just the one preparing the way. This is the guy we're supposed to be paying attention to. So they would leave John and go and follow Jesus. And John was perfectly content with that. Why? Because he really knew who Jesus was. And the whole reason he was out there preaching is so that you and I would know who Jesus was. So that others would know who Jesus was. So that others would turn to Jesus, follow Jesus, trust in Jesus. That was John's job. Because only Jesus could do what Jesus did. John couldn't be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John had his own sin to deal with, just like you and I. But not Jesus. Jesus is the only one who's sinless. Jesus is the only one whose sacrifice is sufficient to atone for the sins of the world. Jesus is the only one who deserves our whole trust. So let's trust in him and go to the Father in prayer in his name.